when, uh, when I was growing up, my parents uh, later in their life had uh, ran a small chain of jewelry stores, and so they they were all always conscientious about counterfeit stuff. And I, and I even have at home uh, a real Rolex Submariner that they gave me, and then a couple of knockoffs. And if if you put them together, they look like the same. And you you know you have to have a trained eye to really be able to tell the difference. And uh, the whole idea of something being bogus, right? How many of you have ever heard the word bogus before? All right. How many have used the word bogus before? Okay. Uh, bogus, sort of in modern parlance, means not cool, not hip, you know, not good. But what it, when it, that word originally came into our English language, and it was in the early 1800s, and a bogus was a machine that made counterfeit coins. Interesting. There's your word for the day. I want you to use it at the restaurant after church. And, uh, yeah, ask, is this a bogus hamburger? And the word, the word came into our lexicon, and it, you know, it means uh, imitation, counterfeit, fake, forgery. There, I, I was reading this week about uh, different counterfeits and fakes, and I came across some some crazy illustrations of this. Uh, what people do is they counterfeit valuable items, right? I mean, people don't counterfeit gravel. Not a big market for counterfeit gravel, you know, no matter where you try to sell it. But, you know, famous artwork, big market for that. Diamonds, believe it or not. I'll give you an example. Counterfeit diamonds. Counterfeit things, they're, they're out there. Uh, there's a guy named John Hattelberg, and he makes counterfeit diamonds that are so real, people, experts, cannot tell them apart. And he won't explain how he does it, but he made, uh, and he does this honestly. Uh, people who have very valuable items, diamonds, ask him, like the people who own the Hope Diamond. You know the Hope Diamond, you ever heard of it? It's like 350 carats, this huge diamond. He made a counterfeit that was so good that the De Beers experts, De Beers is a big diamond uh, concern in South Africa, they couldn't tell the difference between his fake Hope Diamond and the real one. And so uh, people who are very rich hire him to make counterfeits so that you know, they can wear the real one around and they would get robbed, they haven't lost. I mean, they can wear the fake one around, and if they get robbed, they haven't lost it. So another guy named uh, Frank Barassa, he's a Canadian, he counterfeited hundreds of millions of dollars of American $20 bills. He managed to get his hands on some paper, which is the, sort of the crucial element to counterfeiting American currency, printed out millions and millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And actually, he only went to jail for it for a few weeks. It's a wild story. Uh, look up Frank Barassa counterfeit and read the story. It's pretty crazy. Uh, there's a guy named Wolfgang Beltracci, who he's a German artwork counterfeiter. He counterfeited tens of millions of dollars of famous European art and did it for years and years and years before anybody caught him. It was so good. And, of course, he did get caught. He spent a lot of time in jail. Now, like I said, we only 
typically see things that are really valuable that get counterfeited. Jesus said that faith and spirituality can actually be counterfeited. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about a litmus test for how do you tell if you've got bogus faith? How do you tell if you've got bogus spirituality? I mean, just like people have learned to do, people can fake anything. So if you would, uh, in the book of Matthew, where the uh, Sermon on the Mount is, in, in chapter 7, which is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I'd like you to read with me this, this short section. And as we read this, I want you to listen for three things. Because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to compare three sets of, of items. He's going to compare two gates... He's going to compare two trees, and then he's going to compare two builders. And you'll notice when he describes them in the story, they're very similar. Just like something that's, that's real and something that's a, a knockoff, it only works if it's a really good knockoff. And so Jesus is talking about counterfeit spirituality, counterfeit faith, and he's saying, you can get the right thing but it's easy to get the wrong thing. And you need to understand what the wrong thing, how to tell the difference. And, and so after we read through this, I'm just going to give you what the litmus test is. You might figure it out as we go along because it kind of stands out. So let's start reading in Matthew 7, verse 13. So Jesus says, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, if you've ever, I've, I've worked in orchards before, and after a while, if a tree grows to its fruit-bearing uh, seasons, and it doesn't bear good fruit, People who run orchards will cut that down and plant a good tree in its place because it, you know, soil is precious, and so they get rid of it. So Jesus says, thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then, I'll tell you, or I'll, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so now he's going to summarize it. Now he's going to tell us about the two builders. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the, steam, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, excuse me, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. <clears throat> so let's look at this. Two gates, two trees, two builders. So the two gates, Jesus said there's a wide gate that's easy to enter. It's very popular. Most people go through that gate. But he says it leads to destruction. The word there, destruction, it's a really vivid picture. And in, in, in Jesus' day, it meant to take a, a piece of pottery and just shatter it on the ground. So it's just, it's not, it's ruined. It, it, you know, there's nothing good that, that can come of it. So it's saying if you go through this gate, you'll be like that shat, your life will be like that shattered pottery. But, he says, the narrow gate, it's difficult to enter. It requires, now his, the, the word, it's narrow, means it's really tight. So if you're going to go through that gate, you just sort of have to squeeze through it. You can't bring your, your car with you. You can't bring your backpack. It's just basically you just get through it. But once you go through it, it leads to life. And he uses this word, and he compares it. There's this destruction, shattered pottery, and then there's this word life, which he only uses to describe what he brings, the, the kind of life which, you know, in the book of John, Jesus says, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy I come that you might have life, this abundant life in every sense of the word. And so it's this Greek word zoe, and it means life that comes from God that has nothing bad that comes with it. So he says these two gates, the wide gate leads to, it's a surprise, it's not good. The narrow gate, which few people choose, leads to life. So second, it says there's two trees. One produces bad fruit, and the other produces good fruit. Now, Jesus starts warning about false prophets and their followers. But when he talks about false prophets, he's talking about a tree. Okay, so that's like the symbol for these false prophets or people who follow false prophets. And they, these false prophets say, because the word prophet there means to speak for God, and the people that would follow those false prophets, and, and you could say false teachers, and, and, and follow a false message, a counterfeit message, they are people who say, we believe the right thing. And Jesus says, this is, the, this is the trick. They both look alike. They're very, very similar. Both trees look healthy. Both of them have fruit. But when you taste the fruit from the good tree, it's good fruit. When you taste the fruit from the bad tree, it's rotten, it doesn't have any flavor, no one would eat it. And in their culture, I mean, you know, you've all been to the produce store and, and bought an apple and bit into it, and it's like biting in the cardboard, like, oh my gosh, right? Or God forbid, you cut a tomato open and it's rotten inside. Or some other kind of fruit. It isn't just like tasteless, it's actually, you know, ruined, well, that's, that's the contrast. People have experienced that for thousands of years. So Jesus is drawing on a familiar experience that they've had, and he says, two trees. And 
Then Jesus goes on in the next part, and he says, and he talks more specifically about what the people say. So if you remember this part, he said, the people, in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that's, that's so after the trees, he gets into talking actually about people and what they say. And he says, let's look at their fruit, because you know them by their fruit. And he says, this is what's confusing. They say the right things. And in some ways, they do things that look like what Jesus-following people do. He says, they say, Lord, Lord. So a lot of times, what, what we think in, in terms of having legitimate faith is that we, can, that we repeat the Apostles' Creed. We believe the right things. We say the right things. We call Jesus Lord. And Jesus is saying, that doesn't mean anything. That's not the fruit that you look for. Not that that's not important. But there's something more fundamental than that, according to Jesus. Then he says, even these people who say, we did miracles in your name. And you look at that and think, those people have got to be authentic, right? That's got to be the real thing. I mean, you don't do miracles without it being something that only God can do. He says they prophesy, which they speak for God. They cast out demons. I mean, that's a pretty serious thing. They uh, do miracles and healing. How could you do that and not... Be real. Jesus says it's possible. It's possible. And here's the thing. He says they do it in his name. And to do something in someone's name means to do it for them in their place. But what he's saying is, beyond the the signs and wonders and miracles, is they're not doing it for him. They're doing it for them, for themselves. It's this self-motivated thing. It's about them. And so he says... I never knew you. So when they say, Lord, Lord, we did this, we said this, we did that, he says, I never knew you. In other words, it's possible to to really look like the real thing, but never actually have had a relationship with God through Jesus. You've just been in church. One of the most famous Christian leaders of history, a man named John Wesley, who was the founder of what we know today as the Methodist Church. He was raised, his his father was a minister. He was raised in church. He became a minister. He went over from England to Georgia to be a missionary. And when he got there, he found out, I'm not even a Christian. He said, I went to preach the gospel to people and I don't even believe it myself. And on his way back to England, He was wrestling with all this, and when he came to England, he had this conversion experience where he came to a real personal relationship with Christ. But Jesus said to them, you're saying and doing all the right things, but you never knew me, I never knew you. Now, it doesn't mean God doesn't know us perfectly, but there's an intimacy and there's a connection, there's a relationship of being known where they've never entered in, those people he's speaking of, had never entered into that self-revealing experience that comes when you're born again. And he said also, and this is, the, this is really the punchline, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Are you evil? The word evildoer means someone who practices lawlessness. Now, it doesn't mean they're lawless brigands who are you know, looting and pillaging. It means just people who fundamentally, at the core of their being, 
They do what they want. When push comes to shove, they will do what God wants when it's convenient. But when it isn't convenient, they do what they want. Because ultimately, what they're doing is they're doing what they want. That's what lawlessness is. There's no higher law. There's no moral structure to the universe that they follow. It's just whatever they want. And they'll follow what's right and wrong up to a point. And so the two builders now, the last one, is these two houses. He says two men built houses, and they looked the same. I mean, on the outside, boom, this house looked like that house. But there was a real difference. And so Jesus said, this wise builder built his house on rock, and the rock was... The person built their life on Jesus and on his words. That their life was founded on that. And then when the rain and the wind and the storms came, the house, because of the strength of this rock, its foundation, withstood it. Then he contrasted it again, because remember, this is these two contrasts, two gates, two trees, two builders. And he says, this other person built their house on sand. And it didn't literally mean like playground sand. It just meant dirt. Because you can build your house on dirt or gravel or any number of foundations or rock. And so Jesus said the foolish person built their house on something that, that, that wasn't stable enough to handle the force of wind, rain, storms. And so it meant two things. It's like when you build your house on a rock, all the moral challenges that you face, if your life is built on Christ, you can, you can face them and come out surviving them. But if you build your house on just doing life your own way, life is going to crush you. And in the end, because those, those wind, storms, and rain were pictures of, of uh, the hardships and the adversities of life, but there are also pictures in the Bible of the final judgment. And that there's two options, you know, Jesus and his words or anything else, anything else, any kind of wise system that purports to be, you know, faith, spirituality, you know, a great philosophical system on which to base your life. Jesus is really, I mean, you have to understand, these are the words of Christ on the, that, that conclude the Sermon on the Mount. And I've read lots of literature about the Sermon on the Mount from people that, that aren't even people of faith. And they say the Sermon on the Mount is, is probably the highest ethical system anybody has ever offered. But at the end of it, Jesus takes it further than just an ethical system. He says this whole thing is based on me and my words. And he's drawing this contrast. He says if you, if you try to base this on anything else, it won't work. So the difference was the foundation. It was him or anything else. So, this simple litmus, if you, you may have figured this out. It's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. The litmus test is really simple. And you may go, it doesn't sound simple. I like what you've said so far. And you've drawn some clear contrast. Jesus really like lays this out. There. But what is the, the gist of what makes it true and counterfeit? Bogus faith, bogus spirituality will never say, not my will, but your will, Jesus. Do you see that? It's really simple. The narrow gate that, that's not popular is the gate that you could say over it is 
Not my will, but your will, Jesus. The trees, the two trees, the false prophet versus what's true, is the false prophet will say, will never say, not my will, but your will. Never. And, you know, and, and when push came to shove, when Jesus was in this time of torment and trial, right before he was going to be betrayed and crucified, he said to the Father, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will. And so it was this picture. It's real simple. That's the essence of this litmus test. The same thing with the, the two foundations. So, you know, you may say, well, but why Jesus and his word? Why him? And this little section we read through, you know, sounds a lot. People say the, the Sermon on the Mount sounds a lot like what other great teachers have taught throughout history. You know, what other great moral inspiring teachers. Not exactly, but there's some similarities. Why not them too? You know, Jesus and them. I mean, this sounds very, very narrow. Well, I didn't, I'm just telling you, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is, is making a fine point and he's actually applying everything that he said. And in these, these three comparisons that we read, let me just tell you what Jesus said about himself. So when he's urging people to enter by the narrow gate, not the wide one, when he's urging them to be like the, don't listen to false prophets, don't be the bad tree. When he's saying, don't be the foolish builder, he's saying these things about himself. So follow with me. First, he's saying he's the gate. He's the gate. In, in John 10, Jesus said, I'm the gate. I'm the true gate. I'm the way into the, to the shepfold. And, and a gate, almost exclusively in those days, was a gate into a city, a walled city where you're safe, where you could thrive, versus being outside and being unprotected. So a gate was a way into a, a community. Or a gate was the entrance to a sheepfold, which was a place that uh, in the evening, the shepherds would bring their, all their sheep into a place of safety. Because out in the fields, uh, they could be vulnerable to predators or you know, thieves or, or wandering off or you know, any number of bad things could happen. So they would build these stone little enclosures and they would have literally a, a real gate. But most often, what the shepherd would do is the shepherd would sleep in the opening to the sheepfold to protect the sheep. So any kind of predators would have to go across him. And so Jesus said, I am the gate. He says that, and this is part of the implications of this. Second, he is the true prophet. He is, he uses this word that the people say to him, Lord, Lord. That word Lord, coming out of the mouth of a Jewish person, that was a word they reserved for the Lord God Almighty, the God Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't throw that word around. A lot of Jews wouldn't even use that word. Jesus was saying, they say that to me. I am God Almighty. It's a pretty, pretty bold statement to make. So it's, it's either true or it's not, right? They're really, he didn't leave any ground there, as, as C.S. Lewis said. He talked about God being his father in this familiar way that nobody used, which was one of the things when Jesus called himself the son of God, the Jews were going to stone him because they knew 
He was implying that God was his father and that that made him this Messiah, God's son. And, the, and many of the Jews rejected that. But Jesus is claiming that here. He said that he's the judge. He's the one that's going to make the call about these people, these false prophets and their followers and anybody that has bogus spirituality. He's saying, I'm the judge that's going to make that final call. Everybody knew only God does that. He's making again this statement. Uh, he's, he says about the people who said to him, we prophesied in your name. In other words, we cast out demons, we did miracles. You are so powerful that when we used your name, we saw miraculous things happen. Again, that, that the Jews were taught, you only use God's name. To, to one of the commandments, right? The, the third commandment. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't misuse it. He says, I'm the one that you have to know personally. That you come to know God through knowing me. I, again, there's that way, truth, and the life inference. And then he calls himself the rock. And he says, I'm like the rock that builders look for to build their house on. If you build your house on me, if you found your life on me, me and my words, you're going to find real life. So you've got bogus faith if you've never said, not my will, but your will, Jesus. Not my will, but your will be done. Now, I don't mean that every moment of your life you say that because nobody does that. But the truth is, this is what characterizes someone who's really been born again, is in their heart. They, they default back to this. There's something has happened to their heart where they go, I'm a fool if I do things my way. Jesus' way is so much better. He is so much better that something in my heart constantly goes back and says, I want to do what you want even when it costs me, even when it's hard, even when it's painful. Even when I have to let go of things that are precious to me and have to deny myself to do what you want. I know in the end, if I deny myself, I will have a much better outcome than if I do what I want and I get what I want right now and then later on, I get screwed. Because that's what happens. And so Jesus is saying, it's a real simple litmus test. And the thing is, nobody... It's hard to follow a person around and to tell if a person's trying hard, if they've got real faith or bogus faith. Because you can maintain an, an exterior just like these things say. The gates resemble each other. The trees look a lot alike. The, the two houses look okay until the trouble comes, right? And so I want to ask you, in your heart of hearts, do you have that impulse inside you that's, that's been placed there? by God, because you, at some point in your life, you said, in some way, because uh, there's many ways that you can phrase this, that you can come into this experience, and you know, we call it being born again, where you say, not my will, but your will, on anything and everything, because when I talk to people sometimes, and they say, well, how do, you know, and they got, our lives are full of not your will, but my will, right? I mean, look at any area of your life. And there's, there's those two choices playing out. And so when you first come to, to hear the gospel, your whole life is not your will, Jesus, but my will. 
And so when you begin to follow him, you deal with those things one at a time. You don't deal with them all at once. Most of the time, we don't even know how completely infested with self we are. We only know that some part of our life doesn't work very well, and we realize it's because we're saying not your will, but my will. And that's why we don't have Zoe in that life. And so we kind of buy into Jesus for that area. And then we go, oh boy, there's more. He's asking for more. Or we start seeing there's some other areas of our life that aren't working very well because we're going through the wide gate. And then we go, if you've experienced Jesus, you will go at some point, I don't want to go through this wide gate anymore. I want to go through the narrow gate. This, this, this is not right. No matter, no matter if it's hard to get through that gate and I have to squeeze through, you know, like someone crawling in a cave, that's the gate that leads to life because it's about Jesus. And even if it costs me, I'm going to go that road. That's one of the things that, that Christians who've wrestled with this over throughout history have learned, that eventually you're going to default back to whatever your heart really values. And when you've really got the real thing, at some point your heart will go back to, not my will, but your will, Jesus. So, just to close, when I ask you, has that ever happened to you? Because if you're sitting here and wondering, wow, you know, I go to church all the time. I can say all these things. I've even prayed for people and they've been healed. You know, I think I'm against the right things politically and for the right things politically. I must be a Christian, right? I've memorized the Apostles' Creed. People in this church, they have to look up at the screen. (laughs) It's amazing, all the little things, all the Lord Lords that we get confidence from. And the real litmus test is, have you seen how good Jesus really is and how foolish it is for you to live for anyone but his will? Anyone but him and his will, including yourself. Because you've seen he has your best interest at heart already. But if you live for your own will, you do not have your best interest at heart. Because we've inherited crap as human beings. It's been passed on from generation to generation. And a lot of our conscience is good, but a lot of it's corrupt. How do you know which part you're following is the good and which is the corrupt? You can look at Jesus. He is this litmus test. And that's why he comes along and says, I mean, the the Bible says he's the light of the world that enlightens everybody. And so when when we get exposed to to him through the gospel or through Christians, however imperfect, you know, the, the people in your life might be who call themselves followers of Jesus, the light illuminates down to the depth of your heart. Because God is not interested in trying to make you moral. Do you understand? He's not trying to get your money. He's not trying to get you on the right side of this justice issue or that justice issue. Not that that's not important. He's trying to get your heart. He's trying to convert you. All of us. And, and that conversion is a... It, it, another way you can say it is it's kind of a death. It's where we die to my will, and we come alive to the possibilities of his will, his good will, who time after time you can see how much better his will is than our will. But in a moment, 
it can be hard to make that choice. And so Jesus spells it out. Two gates, two trees, two builders. All these ways that were really familiar to people who knew if you go through the wrong gate, you could really be in trouble. You eat from the wrong tree, you could really be in trouble. You build your house on the wrong foundation, you could really be in trouble. And then he infers that he's the gate, the good gate, and everybody else is the gate that leads to ruin. He's, he is the good tree, and if you eat out of his tree, you become a good tree, and everybody else is, is leading you to ruin and destruction and judgment. And then he's the true foundation that if you build your life on him, your life will stand the tests and storms of this age and the age to come. So, just ask you this. I want to pray and ask the Lord to speak to you. Uh, you know, sometimes it takes courage to be willing to really face what's going on, you know, in the depths of our hearts. But Jesus makes it easier if you realize who it is who is shining the light on, you know, some part of your life that maybe you're not excited about having exposed. So in, in this room, there's only two kinds of people. There's people who have said, Jesus, not my will, but your will. Even if they're not walking it out right now, there's been a point in your life where you said that, or you're someone who's just never said that. But you've, you've been holding on to a, a bogus kind of spirituality that never got to your heart. Or you've never been into that. You've just kind of been your own thing. Like, that's, that's me, 18-year-old John Lee, freshman year in college. I was just a happy pagan. <laughs> just a good moral kid. All my teachers liked me. Most people liked me. I got along with most people. But I was conscientiously saying, not your will, my will, even if I didn't know it. And I was confronted with the gospel. And I said, I want to start saying, not my will, but your will, Jesus. And everything changed. It started to complete. And, and many of you know that. <clears throat> Some of you here have never done that. So I want to pray. And maybe your response today is to say, I've got to think about this. That's a pretty big step, John. That's a, that's a pretty big decision. I need to think about whether I want to say to Jesus, I'm willing to die to myself and what I want, how I've lived for all this time, to, to, to embrace this invitation from you that you're, you're the gate that leads to life, that you're the tree of life, that, that you're the foundation I can build my life on. I need to think about that. That's cool. Maybe you've thought about it, and you just never said, Jesus, yes, I want, right now, I want, to, I want this to be like the threshold moment where I step forward in my life and say yes to you. Some of you here have said yes a long time ago, but you're a little wobbly right now. You know what I mean? Like a little, uh, you know, kind of straddling the fence. Like the, I'm trying to find a third way, John. Uh, I'm trying to find out, like on, on, on even-numbered days of the calendar, I say yes to Jesus, and on odd days, I say yes to me. Does that sound familiar? Kind of like zigzagging along in the kingdom. Maybe you see... Maybe this helped you a bit to recognize you're doing that, and you realize that's bogus. That is bogus. It's counterfeit. It's not real. It's not really valuable. Your life proves it. 
And it isn't just that on the good days, everything's wonderful, and on the days you're saying no, everything's a mess. It doesn't often always work like that. Sometimes it feels pretty good to say yes to me and no to Jesus. It, it, it pays in certain respects. But you realize that's bogus. That hard attitude's bogus. That's hypocritical. Jesus gave everything for me. He's wonderful. He's beautiful. There's no one like him. I'm going to ask him into my life. To, to, I'm going I'm to surrender my heart to him again. So I don't know, you know, necessarily that I'm going to, I want to ask you guys like to, to make the walk, you know, to walk up front. Uh, I don't think that's important. I don't think, you know, that the 25 feet between where you're sitting and up front is necessarily crucial. But the, you know, the, the, the six or eight cubic inches of your heart is where the crucial work is. So just, if you could, just, everyone just stand together, and let's just, I want you to bow your heads and just pray with me. Simple prayer. And you, you can pray it out loud, or, or, you know, you don't have to pray it out loud. You can just pray it in your heart. But it's, a, it's, a, it's supposed to be the expression of what you want to happen in your heart, okay? What you want to go on inside you. Jesus, thank you that you truly are as good as the Bible says you are, but I've lived like my way is better than your way, and today I want to say that that's bogus, that that's wrong, and I want to give up my way, and I want to welcome your way, and I want to welcome, more importantly, not just your way, I want to welcome you, and I want to say to you today, in front of all these people, and and before you, before the angels of heaven, and all the people living and in, in dead that might see what's going on right now, I want to say, not my will any longer, but may your will be done in my life, Jesus. In every area of my life, I want to respond to your invitation, to you speaking to me through this passage we read today, that it's you speaking to my heart. So I want to go on this journey again. I want to get back on it. I don't want to zigzag anymore. I don't want to be on, say no to you. I want to say yes. And thank you as I respond to you, you respond to me. That you're the gate. And as I say yes to you, I'm entering this narrow gate that leads to life. And I, and I know that life comes in the form of the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside me and, and starts changing my heart and changing my desires. And I want to join with all those people who've, who've responded to you and your invitation. Put my name in in your book of life right now and strengthen me by the Holy Spirit to follow you and live for you. And I I choose today to become the the wise builder who builds their house on the rock, on you. And uh, thank you for your your love and the mercies that that you've poured out on me now. I want to be one of those people who say thank you and for forgiving me, for loving me, for accepting me into your kingdom and into your heart. And it's in your name I ask this. Amen. Listen, if you, for the first time, you said yes to Jesus and say, I want to follow Jesus today, please take one of those little cards that's on the, on the 